Uh, hi, I'm Faith Erin Hicks, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. Find us on Facebook at the GBB Podcast. Blah, I got it all out. <laughs> and, and we are in your ears right now. And welcome to our episode. I already said welcome. I'm going to welcome you. You twice. welcomed them like four times. So and then that's I'll, great. And because welcome. I'm Canadian, I'm going to apologize for welcoming. I'm sorry for welcoming you twice. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a full day of interviews today. And, yeah. and well, see, it's they fun. don't know that, though. They don't, but we yeah, spaced these out. <laughs> yeah. They don't know, but sometimes we record. Now you know, sometimes we record more than one show a day because yeah. we are on the ball. So uh, and because because one of us is going on vacation and um, all these interviews came at the same time. And so you know. <laughs> I'm not going to say who. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we had a couple today, but this was great. Um, to, we just got off and we or you're about to listen to, I should say. Right. Um, we just talked to Roger Langridge, um, who if you know kids comics, um, you've probably seen his name. You've seen his art. You've seen his words. Um He's his new strip out now is from Boom. Uh, it's called the Baker Street Peculiars. It is um, tangentially set in the Sherlock Holmes world. Um, Holmes is not a main character. It sort of follows these street urchins that um, you know these little kids who 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 follow a. Um, sorry, got to back up. CC walked in and confused me. <laughs> It follows these little street, this gang of street urchins who, uh, you know, take on the cases and sort of come together and learn how to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's phenomenal. It's so good. Um, there's just a first, there's a second issue actually comes out today. So go grab it. Go to your comic book shop this week. Go grab it. Um, pick up the first issue while you're there if you haven't already. Um, Roger is also he's done a lot of different comics. Um, for those here in the states who know kids comics, you've probably seen his work on the Muppet Show uh, series. You've seen um, Abigail and the Snowman. Um, you've seen the, the Jim Henson adaptation, Musical Monsters of Turkey Hollow. Um, he's one of these creators that, in my mind, can do no wrong when it comes to uh, all-ages books. And uh, it, as far as I'm concerned, you can never have too many all-ages books, and he's just been killing it left and right. So uh, it was just a pleasure to have him on and talk to him about his new book. All right, so we're going to play the interview for you right now. Enjoy. Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Um, 
I'm I've been a huge fan of your your um your Muppets and Jim Henson stuff for a while. So uh, I'm always looking forward to what you've got coming next. Um, so this is this is a thrill to talk to you about your new book. Um, so let's start there. Uh, let's talk about the Baker Street Peculiars. Um, where did the idea come from, and how did it end up as a comic with Boom slash Kaboom? Um, well, I've had a sort of uh, professional relationship with Boom for a few years now, um, and they they were sort of casting around looking for for the next thing that I would do for them. Um, and uh, I was talking to Bryce Carlson, who's one of the um, editors there, and he was saying that they they had a, a sort of a niche that they wanted to fill of sort of a, a gang of kid detectives. And and that just, the, it was like a game of word association in my head at that point. When I think kid detectives, I think Baker Street Irregulars from the Sherlock Holmes book. Right. Um, uh, and so I sort of used that as a starting point and I tried to sort of work out how to make that sort of novel and interesting and, and perhaps relevant to now. Um, and uh, started making notes, and, and it sort of grew from there, really. That's excellent. Um, I mean, you're so you're writing the series, you're not doing the art, which I think is a bit unusual for you. Um, uh, well, it's it's uh, something that's happened more and more in, in the last few years. Yeah. I used to always, I mean, when I first got into comics, I was just an artist, and I was just drawing other people's scripts. Um, and then I had a, a sort of a period when I wasn't getting very much work, and I was... Uh, just producing work on my own and uh, because I didn't have a writer, I, I was writing my own stuff and that's how I sort of started to become a writer. And uh, these days I tend to get asked to do as much writing as I do drawing, really more writing, if anything, it's, it's just, I sort of fell into writing by the back door. You know? <laughs> has that taken any, like, has, has it, has it taken a while for you to get used to that? Since you came up, you know, you sort of established yourself as an artist and now it's, you know, they're saying they're coming to you for your words rather than your art sometimes. It's um, strange, uh, but satisfying. I didn't think it would be as satisfying as it has been. Um, I didn't think I was a collaborator, really, mm -hmm. um, at, at least, uh, you know, unless I was the one having the final say. As an artist, you know, you, you, you're sort of the one who has the final say. So <laughs> you're interpreting the writer's words and, and that's you, you have more control that way. Um, but every um, artist I've worked with has, 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 maybe I've just been lucky, but it's it's been a really rewarding experience and it's always come back looking better than I thought it was going to. <laughs> that's a good thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, uh, maybe that's just the, the, the nature of being a comics writer. Maybe, maybe the artist is just better than the writers. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I assume you're a Sherlock Holmes fan. Do you have a favorite story? Um, I think the Hound of the Baskervilles is quite hard to beat. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not not a huge. I'm not sort of deep into it. Right. But yeah. I've read all the books at least once. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the the Hound of the Baskervilles ticks a lot of boxes. It's it's um, it's got all that atmosphere going for it. It's it's kind of a, a great standalone adventure. It's got that. Uh, it's got a bit of length, so you can get absorbed in it. Mm -hmm. um, the the characters are, are being totally archetypal. Um, it's yeah. Uh, it, it's and and it you know it's, it's the first one a lot of people think of. Right, yeah, it's the most famous one, definitely. Um, with the Baker Street Peculiars, the dialogue, um, it's mostly done in dialect and it has a lot of slang that's appropriate to the period in which the story is set. It's done for comedic effect and it's done very very well. But I'm wondering if you got any pushback from Boom about that because it, it 
were there any concerns that it might be too difficult or too unfamiliar for an, for like American kids? A little bit, yeah. Um, I uh, tried to compromise here and there. I pushed back on a couple of places. Yeah. Um, some of it's to differentiate the class dif- differences between the kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think, you know, a lot of it you get from the context. And if you know the characters, you realize that they're from different classes, so you figure that out. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with trying to push kids into learning things from context and f- mm-hmm. f- from, you know, figuring out different voices from mm-hmm. just the um, context that it appears in and the adventures that they're going through and the, the situations they're in. Right. Um, it, that's how I learned a lot of my vocabulary, you know, <laughs> reading comics and a lot of American slang is totally unfamiliar to me. I grew up in New Zealand. I had no idea what, I, I had no idea who Benedict Arnold was, for example, but I worked it up in <laughs> context because it was, you know, he'd pop up in these Superman stories or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's how you learn. You read, yeah. you learn by reading and you, if you don't understand something, you ask somebody or you look it up or you figure it out from the context um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So, um, where, where there was a real difficulty, I, you know, I definitely was willing to compromise, but, um, I, th- I think it's worth pushing kids a little bit, mm-hmm. and, you know, and adults too. I mean, there's going to be adults reading it, hopefully, who are, who are not familiar with all the slang, but yeah. they're going to pick it up as well. Is that, is that fun for you to write? Yeah. In, yeah, it style? is. Um, uh, the, uh, the character of Humphrey in, yeah, uh, definitely. Is is is, is uh, very much inspired by Bertie Wooster, um, and I'm a huge P.G. Woodhouse fan. Yeah, and the, there's a there's a a quality to his writing that you don't get from any of the screen adaptations, because the language is just so perfect and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my uh, my dialogue for Humphrey is is trying in my own inadequate way to sort of capture a small <laughs> flavour of that. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's just uh, language is, is is your uh, is is your clay, really, when you're a writer. It's it's, it's what the what the first thing you encounter when you read. Um, all of the, the you know the clever stuff going behind the scenes, the plot and the subtext and all that stuff. Yeah, that's there if you dig at it. But the language is the first thing you see, and mm-hmm. that's that's like you know that's the art for the writer. Um, if it's the equivalent of what an artist does on the page, it's the first thing that. The, right. the reader encounters. Right. So the first issue is already out, and the second issue is going to release the day we actually release this episode. So what so can, can readers look forward to with the series? Um. Well, uh, hopefully um, more sort of laughs and adventure and excitement. Um, the, the, the kids get to know one another a little bit better, and they start to work a little bit better as a team as the series goes on. Um. At the moment, they're, they're separate backgrounds and they're um, uh, natural suspicion, I suppose, is uh, making them a bit wary of one another. But uh, that's kind of the, the, the journey that they go on throughout the mm-hmm. series. Is they start to learn to trust one another and learn to work as a team and not um, Rajani in particular, who's mm-hmm. um, one, of, one of the characters, has a big problem with trusting other people. And, and that's a big sort of journey for her in, in the series and to a lesser extent for the others as well. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, uh, Molly um, has, yeah, she's got, she's got a learning, uh, a learning curve as well, 
but uh, if I gave too much about that, <laughs> um, I'll spoil everything. But hopefully I'm not hammering people over the head with that. It's, it's, there's lots of laughs and fun along the way, so yeah. it's not you know, just a lesson. And this is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a four-issue series, yeah? Four issues, that's right, yeah. Are there plans or discussions or talks about anything beyond that? Uh, I think that's going to depend on how it goes. I mean, mm-hmm. I've certainly got vague ideas for future um, stories if if it goes down well enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, the market these days is quite um, unfriendly to anything that isn't an established property, you know, a big yeah. meat property. So um, I'm hoping the, the Sherlock Holmes connection is going to mm-hmm. give it enough of a foothold that um, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll live to fight another day. So you're, um, I guess it's safe to say, you're fairly prolific online, and especially on your website. You post a strip almost every day there. Um, do you find those to be therapeutic as all, at all? I mean, or is that just a way for you to get out ideas that you don't have a home for otherwise? Um, it's, uh, uh, partly for, for me, it's a question of, um, discipline. Uh, I think, uh, it's, it's, it, I'm treating it as a warm up exercise at the moment. I'm doing this daily strip that I started doing at the beginning of the year as a warm up yeah. exercise. Um, but it's also a way to learn new skills. And I'm, uh, currently trying to grapple with Manga Studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and every strip I've done this month pretty much has been me trying to learn how to use this software. Um, not because I'm particularly interested in working digitally, but I think it's a useful skill to have. Um, But there's other things that I'm learning as well, you know, just learning to work faster and learning um, different coloring techniques. And uh, just having a daily strip is just an excuse for me to to have all of these, to to, to use all of these tools and try to improve myself as an artist. I mean, being being any kind of creative individual is is a constant lifelong learning experience, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is uh, me trying to, trying to learn, trying to be, you know, a better, a better artist. And it's giving all the rest of us entertainment along the way. So we thank you I hope for so. that. <laughs> a, be- a beneficial side effect. <laughs> um, I think it's safe to say also that he- at least here, um, you came to prominence among American kids everywhere for your work on The Muppet Show, um, the series from Boom. Um, were you a fan from way back? Well, I watched it when I was a kid, certainly. It was on, I mean, I'm of the generation when I saw it when it was first broadcast. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I watched it and, and I, I adored it. And I, I, I've got this sort of streak of uh, vaudeville-inspired um, themes and, and humour going through all of my work and it wasn't until I started doing the Muppet Show comics that I, I kind of put two and two together and realized that's probably where I got it from in the first place. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's why I was approached to do the, the comic um, because that was the kind of comics I was doing anyway. I was doing stuff set in a Muppet Show kind of world. Yeah. It just didn't have the Muppets in it. <laughs> so some bright spark at boom, put two and two together and thought I'd be a good fit. Do you have a favorite Muppet or, or um, several? Well, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple, I guess. Um, I think Miss Piggy is um, probably the most complex of all the Muppets, and for that reason, the most interesting. Um, in that, everything she says is subtext. There's, yeah. there's you know, nothing that she says can be taken at face value. Um, every every aggressive statement she makes is a way of saying I'm hurting inside. You know, she's um, tough on the outside and very fragile on the inside. 
Um, and Gonzo too. I think he has it in bits. He'd probably be my other favorite. Gonzo is my favorite. I think he has an incredible depth. I mean, people just see him as the weirdo, <laughs> but I think you know if you if you follow his story or his personality, I think there's a lot to him there that that people don't recognize. Yeah, he's um, uh, anybody that eccentric must have. Um, <laughs> there's got to be a reason for that. It's it's got to be more complex than it looks. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, if you were a, a fan from back and you, you back then and you watched it when it was first on. So I, I'd imagine it had to have been kind of a thrill to work on uh, musical monsters of Turkey hollow also, because it was an original Jim Henson property that he sort of had never seen the light of day before. Was that, intimi- yeah. was that intimidating at all? Oh, very much. Yeah, very much. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a privilege, but also, wow, uh, I don't want to break it. Um, but uh, I, I kind of, um, I was encouraged by Henson to to not be slavish to the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was possibly more faithful than I really had to be. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was a big responsibility, and, and um, there are a lot of things you can get wrong uh, with something like that. Um, hopefully, I pulled it off. You did. But, it's it's, you know, a, it's I, a great. It's a beautiful book. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, um, Ian Herring, who coloured it, did a. Uh, is responsible for a lot of that because colour was a big part of the story as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, yes, uh, hats off to him. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, Abigail and the Snowman for a minute. Um, it was a big, big hit in this house. I'll tell you that. And it was Thank also, you. I think, one of the best all ages comics from last year. Um, Thanks very much. How long was that story sort of percolating around inside you before it just came out on the paper? I'd, I'd had the idea for it um, at least a couple of years earlier. It had been, yeah, knocking around for, for a while. Um, uh, it was originally inspired by a, a, a painting I saw of um, a Yeti skiing down uh, a ski slope with a big stupid grin on his face. And I, when I first started writing it, that was going to be the final shot in the story. But yeah. the story evolved and it became something else. It became its own thing, probably for, for the better. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it had been building in my head for a little while. So, Where did you see a painting of a Yeti skiing down a hill? <laughs> oh, uh, it's an artist. Um, uh, her name's Emily Hare. She does, uh, she's got a website. Okay. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Is there any chance we'll see another Abigail series? Um, I conceive that as a self-contained thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, you know I I haven't I haven't heard voices clamoring for a sequel. <laughs> so, um, I can point you in the right direction. We may not be <laughs> publishing, but we, there are voices clamoring for more. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, like I say, it was conceived as its own thing. So I'm yeah. I'm sort of happy with where it ended up. But, uh, oh, it's a beautiful story. Um, in sort of on that same track, both Abigail and the Baker Street Peculiars, they both feature um, strong young female lead. Um, and in fact, just based on the first issue of Baker Street that I've read, it's, it could feature three female leads. Um, and I assume that's something that's important for you to say at this point. Is that correct? Uh, I certainly, um, you know, as a middle-class white male, um, I, I'm aware <laughs> of my position of privilege. Um, and uh, I, th- I, I think I, I've got a responsibility not to just reflect that voice in my work. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, even if I get it, even if I get it wrong, I've got I've got a responsibility to try to reflect other voices. Um, and I think you know, particularly for my audience, which is a young audience, and the younger comic readers that are coming up now aren't the traditional sort of white male um, comic shop habitués. There's a, there's a whole new audience coming up, a whole new generation mm -hmm. who. Uh, have different influences who come up through manga or, or whatever it might be, or through um, the graphic novel boom that's, that's been happening in the last few years. Um, and they've got uh, quite reasonable expectations that their, their experiences and their lives are going to be reflected in what they read. Um, so I, I feel the responsibility to, to at least try to get that right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've done uh, several titles for, titles for Kaboom, which is Boom's All Ages imprint. So with that said, what are your feelings about the current state of kids' comics? Are there enough titles? Is there anything that could be improved, or is it good? <laughs> um, I think there's a huge amount of stuff, yeah, um, and and has been for quite a few years now. Um, it's not – I don't know if it's all, all of it is actually getting to the kids. Um, <laughs> the, the comic – Bookshop distribution model is not um, well suited for getting material into kids' hands. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, there are other outlets. There's bookstores, there's libraries, there's um, the web now. A lot of kids are reading comics on the internet. Um, and uh, all of those things are other ways of getting, uh, getting comics into kids' hands. Um, but as far as the the actual amount of stuff and the quality of stuff that's being produced right now, I think it's fantastic. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's a golden age, if anything. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk to people who write or create or draw or do whatever they do for a more like traditional adult audience, you know, they get a lot of feedback, whether it's through email or through you know online or going to conventions or however it comes. They get feedback from fans. And I have to imagine that um, when you produce content for kids, a lot of that feedback might be harder to come by. I mean, have you found that to be the case? I mean, do you do you get any sort of interaction from kids or feedback from them? Um, when I go to conventions, kids are always a big part of that. I yeah. do a lot of sketches for kids, um, and uh, that's you know that's great. I I live in the UK, so a lot of my readership is in the US, and I don't see a, a, you know I I, I go to maybe one convention in the US a year. So I I get a tiny mm -hmm. um representation of my audience coming to my table, but you know, it's you can count them on a couple of hands. It's not it's, it's not huge numbers. Um that said, you know, it's it's very rewarding when I do meet the kids and and logically I know that that's a small representation of the the total numbers of people who I'm reaching. So mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can sort of tell myself that it, it'd be nice to, it'd be nice to see more of them. It'd be nice to interact with more of them, but I don't know how, yeah. how I Do, could make that work. Does that, does that ever get frustrating for you? I mean, because, you know, maybe some of your peers who are doing work on, you know, for more, for adults and they get a lot more of that feedback and, you know, for good or bad. And, you know, for you, you, you may get the feedback from the adults, but if you're primarily creating for the kids, I would imagine you'd want to hear from the kids, and if it, you know, if it's harder to come by, I wonder if that's frustrating. Well, I don't want to um, play down the the, um, the parents either, because I do hear from parents as well, yeah. and that's that's gratifying as well, especially if it, you know 
um, if it's positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I'm a you know I'm a, I'm easy to find online. Um, people do send me emails, and that's that's great. Um, yeah. I I've kind of um, moved away from the whole idea of uh, making an impact in in the um, in the direct market and the, the you know that that kind of adult audience. Um, I don't. I just don't think I'm I'm the right kind of creator for for that audience. Um, and so I sort of, you know, for years I thought that was that was the definition of success to be successful with that audience. And I've sort mm -hmm. of uh, let that go in the last few years, um, and I'm happier for it. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think kids are more um, appreciative. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and they're the future. You know, if you if you catch their hearts now, they're gonna they're gonna follow you and they'll, you know, when they as they grow up, they'll you know, they'll 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 take you with them in their hearts and, and hopefully, you know, um demand more from you. You know, it's it's I think it's a longer lasting fandom to get to get kids when they're young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly where the next generation of comic readers is gonna come. So yeah. not definitely. everybody who's reading comics now is still gonna be here in twenty years. But yeah. those kids hopefully will be. Yeah, you hope so. I hope so. So you, um, you've done a lot of web comics. Um, I think we talked about that. So, but as somebody who has worked in both that that serialized storytelling form of, of web comics or a daily strip, and in graphic novels, which have you know two covers and what that what you get is what you get. Yeah. I'm wondering, as a creator, what's the biggest difference for you in how you choose to tell the story. Uh, well, you're always, um, when, when it's serialized and even something like the Baker Street Peculiars, which is going to eventually be a book, I assume, mm -hmm. um, is it, because it's structured as a four issue series, you've got to work towards cliffhangers and you've got to sort of, at the same time, try and have each issue as self-contained as possible, you know, have some conflict that is resolved within the issue, or otherwise it's not a satisfying read. Right. So there are these considerations to juggle whereas with a self, single self-contained book with a beginning middle and an end like um the the musical monsters of turkey hollow being an example of that those considerations didn't come into play you could set things up at the beginning they could pay off at the end and you could take as long as you wanted to get there um and it, the conflicts could be drawn out as long as you liked so it, there there are definitely different considerations of pacing um uh, and I don't know if one's better than the other, really. Mm -hmm. I think they've both got their own individual challenges, but um, I enjoy both. Um, and I, I do like the serial comic book format, so because um, that's what I grew up with. And if, if you can do that well, I think it sets you up to do longer, longer stories well as well. Because, you know, it's, that's, you know, what they say about if you can write short stories, um, that's like the hardest discipline yeah yeah um, that's what I've heard. so uh i think if you can do a short comic um it sort of sets you up for tackling something longer there are still different skills that you have to learn but um the fundamentals are there you know you, you've got the the solid foundations for, for working on longer form work yeah so it, uh, i think both are worth doing definitely 
So we ha- we've had other comic writers on before, and we've asked this question. So I'm just going to ask you about it. In your opinion, is the ease of putting your art out there for people to see on the internet a benefit, or is it a hazard for people just starting out, young artists? No, I don't think it's a hazard. Certainly not. Um, I, when I started, it was it was mini comics. It was the mm-hmm. Xerox machine, um, <laughs> and uh, I think you know a web comic is essentially the modern equivalent of mini comics if you're starting out it's it's where you learn it's where you mm-hmm. put your work out in front of the public because that's how you learn you get feedback and you uh part of part of the reason a lot of people do comics is is as a way to communicate um a way to say something and have people hear it um and you can do that so easily on the internet uh, and uh, you don't have to wait for, for your comics to be sold um, or to, to be distributed. You, you have much more control on the internet. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's certainly uh, harder to monetize, so there is that sort of on balance that's, that's on the bad side of it. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I certainly don't think there's a downside um, to being able to get your work out there. I think possibly there's a downside as a reader because it's harder to sit yeah. The amount of work that's out there, there's just so much of it. Um, so you really need uh, some sort of trusted website or, or guide or critic or something to point you to the good stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a function. That, that gives other people a function as well. So that's maybe, maybe a good thing as well. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people, um, when they're just starting out, in the industry, whether they want to be a writer or an artist, um, I, I think they come to it with this dream of working for the big two on one of the top tier books. You know, they want to write for one of those big A-list characters, or or draw one of those big A-list characters. Um, you have consciously chosen a different path. You know, you've you've steered toward the all ages material. You've steered toward creator uh, own material, you, your own characters, your own stories that are a little bit closer to you. Um, Looking at it from inside the industry and knowing what you've done and, and where the different paths are, do you think that that's a realistic dream for somebody who's just starting out? That somebody who really like I- I'm going to draw Batman or I'm going to write Iron Man? Like, is that a realistic dream for somebody? Um, uh, yeah, I think it is. Um, but you've got to really want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to be prepared to eat a lot of um, uh you know, <laughs> merd sandwiches, yeah. shall we say, to, um, uh, to get there um, and, and accept that you're not going to have much control. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's getting more and more the case with the movies sort of being the dog and the comics being the tail. Exactly. Um, so you're always going to be beholden to these big corporations if you go that path, which some people are happy to do. Uh, I'm not going to say don't do that. Um, and it's certainly realistic if you've got the skills um, and, or if you're prepared to work really hard to develop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- for me personally, though, I, mm, I'm, I'm much happier. I mean, I, all I ever wanted to do when I started out was to do my own stuff. And my uh, perception was that you would have to do uh, create uh, uh, sorry corporate properties for a while just to get your name known in order to have the freedom to do your own stuff at some point in the future 
Um, so it was always a means to an end, really. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at, at some point, I just realized that it was it was because I was doing stuff for Marvel for a while, and and uh, it's quite seductive. It's it's a regular thing. Uh, you don't really have to do anything else to earn a living if you want to just keep writing your Marvel comics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I came to realize that if I kept doing that, I would probably never do anything of my own again. So it was it was a it was the smart thing to do for me to walk away from that. Yeah. Do you have a dream project? Uh, I've got several. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to P.G. Woodhouse, I would love to do an adaptation of P.G. Woodhouse at some yeah. point. Um, I have this kind of complete bastard of a superhero called the Fez who I'd like to do something with at some point, something a bit longer. I've been doing mini comics and web strips, but uh, I can see I can see um, a series out, uh, coming out of that at some point. Um, I've got a couple of graphic novel ideas that I'd like to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a journey, isn't it? it you're dream projects you, you get to do them and then you've got something else that's even more of a dream project that you want to do after that yeah. mm-hmm. do, um, so we're in the middle of um, the Baker Street Peculiars right now um, uh, issue 2 is is about to come out beyond that is there anything that we can look forward to what are you working on right now um, well uh, I've started talking to boom about possibly doing a, a sequel to snarked mm. um uh, which uh would be set uh not in the world of lewis carroll but in the world of charles dickens it's the the walrus and the carpenter again but the walrus is kind of a fagin character with a gang of street urchins oh, nice. in a dickensian world and um there's uh sort of um yeah lots of sort of dickens references and uh the, the sort of fantastical element would be um, a Christmas Carol inspired. It would be, you know, mm-hmm. the ghosts and all that stuff. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm currently trying to thresh out the plot for that so we can uh, do something do something with that. Awesome. Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Baker Baker Street Peculiars is a fantastic book. I can't wait to read the next three. Um, Thanks. And I uh, can't wait to, to read everything else that you've got coming out. Read and see, whether you're writing it or drawing it. So, <laughs> I, I need to mention the artist, Andy Hirsch. I don't think oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Name, we didn't even talk but, about uh, it. Yeah, um, he's, he's terrific and he's been exceeding my expectations. So um, Excellent. Yeah, props to Andy. Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a gorgeous book. I mean, it's got, like we were saying, we said at the top, it's got great words. It's got, you know, it's fun to read. Uh, it's fun to read aloud. And uh, it's, it's just a gorgeous book to look at as well. So, yeah, for kudos all around. Fantastic. Well, thank you. All right. That's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful podcast. Something you were saying before in the intro, you were talking about his book, The Baker Street Peculiars, and you said that they're street urchins that kind of band together. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you're a fan of the PBS, I guess it's on PBS in the US, the Sherlock Benedict Cumberpatch series. It re- that reminds me of his homeless network. <laughs> I don't know. I know it's not the same thing, but it reminds me of it. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite. I love that uh, that part of the show, that little storyline that he has. I don't know. If yeah, you know, I 
Is it okay? Is you're this about a safe to say it, you're not a fan is of this it. A, is this a safe space? Uh, maybe. <laughs> that, that depends on what you're about to tell me. Um, I've only seen the first one. Oh my! The first episode. Okay. It's on. There's too much to watch, man. It is a lot. Yeah. No, I'm not even just talking about that. Like, there's just too many different things to watch. I can't watch everything. <laughs> and I, you know, I watched the first episode right. of the first season, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And just for whatever reason, never went back and I have not right. watched anymore. I know it's really good. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's seen it loves it. I get all of that. Right. I just haven't found the time to watch it. It, it It's on my list. I, I was the exact same way in this past summer. Sarah and I sat down one of the weeks we had a lot of extra time, I guess, and we binged the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. It's on Netflix. You can do that Mm -hmm. and I'll get to it, but. (laughs) Well, uh, that's the same with me. Like I haven't seen any people are, you know, into these series like the walking dead and uh, breaking bad and stuff like that. And I've never seen what or game of Thrones. I've never seen any of them. And I just don't, I just don't, I have some, what I watch now, right. I'm into so many things that, yeah, you can't you can't watch everything (laughs) yeah who has time to watch everything you know i mean i don't have for those of you who you're about to you know we're we're gonna reveal pull back the curtain a little bit neither justin or i um have have cable like we've both cut the cord (laughs) yeah and so i live on netflix i mean i i pay for hbo now but like i have netflix and amazon prime you know Mm -hmm. and so it's if it's not on there i'm not watching it you know so a lot of the new shows um like Flash and Arrow, I mean Arrow, the older seasons you can get, but like right. Flash and the uh, Gotham, you know, I I I don't watch those when they're brand new on TV because right. I just don't have the access, and I'm not don't really want to go just go download everything. You no, know? exactly. So, I just binge it to what they have on Netflix, and then yeah. when the next when they put the next season on, I'll do it again. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Netflix is so fun. Yeah, I don't mind being a couple seasons behind. You know, I mean. I've watched a few shows years after they finished and they mm-hmm. were like big spoiler shows like that would have been totally ruined. And for some reason, I don't know how it happened. I was never spoiled. Like the nice. Battlestar Galactica reboot. Right. I never watched it when it was on TV. And I just recently, a couple of years ago, watched the whole thing when it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And the entire thing had been unspoiled for me. So like wow. I didn't know any of the twists or turns or who was a Cylon or who I wasn't. Think- so. I think what helps with that, and this is totally off topic, but whatever. <laughs> I yeah. think I think what helps with that is, for example, like The Walking Dead is on right now, and every week I see people talking about it, but I have no idea what's going on or who characters are in that show. Yeah. So when something happens and they're talking about it, it just my eyes see it, but I don't process it because I don't. Yeah, know I'm it. the same way. You know I, we I mean? watched. <laughs> I watched The Walking Dead. I think we gave up on it in the middle of the second season. Right. I just got bored with it and realized I hated all the characters and I, I was rooting for the zombies. <laughs> right. And I didn't want. You I didn't care about everyone it. to die. <laughs> I wanted everybody to die. And I think, with the exception of like the main character, Rick Grimes, I think everybody that I knew from the second season mm-hmm. is now dead. Okay. So like when yeah, I do the same thing. I see tweets and posts about walking dead and i have no idea who anybody is right so i mean they could totally spoil it and be like oh my god frank just died yeah i have no idea who frank is or so you if, but ever, if you ever watch it in the future you won't remember. i'll have forgotten that because yeah. i don't know who frank is you know well it's like i watched when 24 was on i watched the entire thing every time it was on and now if i go back and watch it i forget i don't remember anything oh yeah <laughs> it's just the way it is yeah all right well now that we're done talking about tv shows <laughs> Somehow we got to that from I don't know how we got Baker there. Street Peculiars. But, <laughs> um, I can't actually wait. I I have not read this book yet. I, I'm now I'm a big Sherlock fans universe fan. So I think Go I'm gonna go check up. it out. 
Go pick them up. You guys go pick it up too and let us know if you picked it up. Uh, send us a tweet at the GBB podcast and also uh, th- throw it out there to uh, to uh, Roger. 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 Roger's on Twitter at. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, gonna, I was looking for his Twitter. I couldn't. I had it up. Roger's on Twitter at Hotel Fred. Hotel his, Fred, uh, yes. Hotel Fred is his Twitter handle, and he's also got a website with yep. contact information and everything. We'll link to all of that. Right. But, uh, yeah, let him know you heard heard him on the show. Let him know you picked up the book. Let him know you're a fan. All right, and you can also uh, find us on Facebook at the GBB Podcast as well. And I am Justin Connors at 140 Justin C on most platforms. And I am Jamie Green. I am the Robots. All right, thanks for coming by. Have a great week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.